Welcome to the CEO Story, brought to you by KC Johan, founder of Together CFO, where every week we're interviewing the top CEOs in various industries, sharing their journey and extracting the top things that made them successful. Good morning, guys. We have a fantastic episode today, especially for you guys in Santa Monica. I'm sure you've all heard of Eric Huberman, the founder and CEO of Hawk Media. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Eric, for people who don't know who Hawk Media is, it's a really big deal here on in LA and in Santa Monica. Can you just share a little bit about the company? And yeah, uh, basically, we started six and a half years ago with the idea that it is really hard to gain access to great marketing talent. Uh, you know, I found through consulting and advising, I, we'll get more into this later, but built and sold to uh, e-commerce companies, started advising for a bunch of different big and small brands and just saw when it came time for them to execute, they had two options, either hire in-house or hire an agency. And when it comes to hiring in-house, it's really tough to attract great talent, actually find great marketers and be able to manage them. That's if you can afford them as well, which good marketers are expensive. And then even if you somehow solve those problems, you end up operating in a vacuum and without outside perspective, a lot of companies really struggle. That's why most companies use agencies, but on the agency side, the problem is 99% of agencies have no idea what they're doing. And the few that are good tend to get really expensive, want long contracts, high minimum, something that makes them hard to work with. And so again... I can, I can talk firsthand at uh, how difficult yeah. that is, so yes. And, and everybody can, and that's the crazy thing. It's not like it's a unique problem, it's a very big problem, and so... You know, originally I just got fed up with that situation, decided to hire my own little SWAT team to help companies that I was already advising for. So I hired seven people, each with their own expertise, like a Facebook marketer, an email marketer, web designer that I knew were good, and went back to these companies and said, hey, everything's a la carte, month to month, cheaper than hiring in-house, but now you can spin up exactly what you need when you need it. We're super flexible. And that's how we started. And fast forward, now we're over 150 people, offices in LA, New York, and Boston, usually right now. I guess we can count anyone's home and office yeah. probably all over the country. But uh, yeah, it's, it's grown really well. And uh, again, we've, we've built the whole thing without any outside funding on month-to-month contracts. So like to use that as sort of a signaling that it seems to be that we're doing the right things. No, definitely doing the right things. And people in LA definitely heard of your, of your brand. So how did you get to that point? Let's kind of rewind a little bit across the years. And you yeah. know, you've, you've, done, you've been in the industry for so long and have so much experience in so many different roles. Um, let's start there. Let's start with some of those. What initially got you into marketing? It, I'd say, so funny enough, in college, like I made fun of marketing majors. To me, marketing was like, okay, so you draw pretty pictures. Like, what is marketing? I didn't grow up around any marketers. That wasn't my thing. Um, and so what happened was, got out of college, went into real estate, started one week to the day before the whole banking industry collapsed and the last recession and everything. And then uh, during that time, started scram- I made $350 that year in real estate. So I had to start figuring out something else and worked on an online company that was one-on-one business coaching for musicians and ended up raising a million dollars for it in 2009 and building that out. And we had to, I had to figure out how to attract customers. So I started, you know, I, I was given some great advice at a, co-founder investor that you know said hey craigslist it seems to be where musicians are looking let's go figure out a way to use craigslist and so i started posting ads to get like help you get gigs in the gig section of craigslist and we got flooded with people wanting to work with us and i realized you know it was a really simple education but yeah go where your customer is and you know 
give them what they want, you're going to get a lot of attention. And so that's what started it. And then after leaving that company a couple of years later, I started a teacher subscription company. And through so that, let's just stop right there. Cause I'm, I'm sure that you could go on for, for a, a long time. So let me just really digest what the point of that was. And what I'm hearing is understanding where the demand is on which platform it is, and yep. then creating a system to really extract the ideal person from that platform. Yep. Because modern day to day, it might not be Craigslist. It could be a million other things, right? But it's yeah. really identifying where that ideal client lives or breathes or spends a lot of their time and then figure out a, a way, a strategy to attract them. Yep. Got it. Okay. Sorry. Continue, please. Every, yeah, every no, time I just hear yeah. a nugget, yeah. I'm trying to kind of... Yeah. And it just, I also just, I mean, that's when I first went, oh, this is, I didn't even, I don't know if I even thought of that as marketing back then. It was just like, this is how we get business. And then when I really translated into marketing was my second company was called Swag of the Month, or it was like, I shouldn't say second company, but the next company. And that was a t-shirt subscription site really early in the whole e-commerce subscription craze and like wasn't really a thing yet. And so we were one of the first movers, which ended up getting us a ton of press because it was like this new innovative business model. And we got, uh, had to figure out Google ads. There were no Facebook ads when I started that company. So it was like, how do I use Google? How do I scale this? What other things can we do? What is, you know, should we throw a party? Does that get us enough customers? Like throwing a party, like we were every nightclub in LA because swag was such a popular word, wanted to throw parties with swag of the month. And we would, we made a fake magazine and like all sorts of stuff. There was all these branding plays because frankly, direct response for digital wasn't really other than using Google wasn't a thing and nobody was really Googling for t-shirt subscription companies. We had to find other ways to get awareness out there. And that's when I started figuring out how to drive people in, how to, you know, direct people, but it wasn't as data driven, but it was still like through gut, like, you know, let's do something. How many customers do we need to sign up to make it worth it? Okay. Let's back out into that. Do we think that we have the propensity to do that with this? And like started to get a little more data driven, at least on the, hypothesis side of it of when we were executing. So I've noticed a trend that you always kind of had an analytical mind mixed yeah. with a good curiosity and being able to pivot and try different things is what I'm yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, I was always had a high propensity for risk too. Like I never, it's still to this day, like I'll try almost anything. Like let's try it. Let's see what happens. Hopefully it works. If it doesn't, let's not do it again. Um, so that's always been my attitude with it. And uh, yeah, so I'd say like each company that I started, I got a little deeper and deeper into it. And with the next company, Ellie, uh, that's where I was brought into that company. So I, did, I was on the founding team, but I was not the founder or CEO. I was the head of marketing. And they had raised $2 million for a vitamin company that was failing miserably. And we helped pivot them to be an activewear subscription company. Basically copying, we had sold Swag in a month. We copied that business model, but for women's activewear. And at that point, it was Facebook ads were a thing. Influence marketing was just getting started. But I had you know, all the money in the world, they'd raised $2 million without anything going yet. So I got to do whatever I wanted. And that's when I really got to execute all the things I had wanted to with Swag of the Month um, and try everything. And that's, that was really where I solidified my sort of chops. That's and, awesome. So then the reins came off after uh, a few years of kind of learning the exactly. new tricks of the trade. Yep. So how did that work out? Worked out well. I mean, we grew incredibly fast we were out of the same incubator as dollar shave club and we outpaced their growth um then operationally it, they couldn't keep up and that became the problem was more the supply chain side but from a marketing perspective it was awesome fantastic and then so 
after you were doing the VP of marketing, I believe you then started some consulting as well. That was just, yeah, there was like a six month period where I, I thought I was going to start a tea company. That was really what I was pursuing. So I was consulting because I just never liked eating into my savings. I always wanted to feel like I was moving forward. So I wanted to pay the bills. So I consulted while I was figuring out my next company. And then about six months into it's when I, you know, the story I was talking before where it's like, oh, these people need a lot more help than me. And there's an opportunity here. And so I actually launched Hawk Media at the same time as Shape Tea and launched my online tea company. It was fitness and health teas. I didn't even drink tea. I just thought it was a good opportunity. <laughs> and, uh, and about two months in, the Shape Tea had made like 30 grand within a month. And, but Hawk Media had actually made more than that. And I was looking at both and going like, I think there's more of an opportunity with Hawk Media. And I think my skill sets and interest lend itself more to this. I was literally debating which one do I go down because I can't do both. And um, I also, I mean, there's a constant kind of undertone in the VC community and where I'd come from that nobody wants to run a service business. They're terrible. Like they don't get the multiples, blah, 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 blah. And I, so I heard that and that made me resist the idea of running a service business and then come to find out I actually really like it. <laughs> and, and frankly, we've, my equity in Hawk Media has outpaced Dollar Shave Club's founders' equity in Dollar Shave Club. So like the, the idea that a service business can't be a good business is crazy. It's just, you know, a, a cliche. And, I, and now that I run a venture fund, I've realized a lot of the things that get thrown around in the investor community are just someone said it once and everybody decides that's the thing to say. And it's, there's no actual substance to it. It's just a lack of education. Good. I'm glad you said that because I was actually going to circle back around to that and say, hey, where did that really actually come from? Because yeah. I'm a service-based business and we do more than enough to keep me and the team busy. So uh, yeah, but there's at least two of us out there. Well, yeah, and maybe they're not, there's not, there's no reason to raise money for a lot of these types of service business. Like that, that makes sense to me. So there, you're not going to get maybe the expansion on an investment that you would in a, in a software business, but it's from a, like, from the founder's perspective, both can have a very similar outcome. In fact, I think, you know, if you probably had a mean on the average outcome for a service business founder versus a software company founder, I bet it's higher for the service business. So you, a, you also touched on you started your own venture company as well. Yes. So how did Hawk Media then become Hawk Ventures or a subset of Hawk? Uh, yeah, it's a separate entity. But um, the we basically, what was it? Like four and a half years ago, I think, I, I was adamant about like I spent my time on Hawk Media and that's where I spent like I took risks, et cetera. But then when I made money, I put that into real estate. Conservative investment, I'm going to let that build. And that was my whole thesis of like, I'm going to run this cash flow business, keep putting into real estate, and hopefully 20 years from now, I have enough real estate that, you know, I don't want to retire, probably never will, but... Passive yeah, cash flow. Yeah, the, the passive cash flow is going great. And so that was my, like, core part of the business. And so a friend of mine said, hey, we're raising money, we want you in this round, we're pivoting to e-commerce, we want you on our cap table and to be a part of it. And I was like, guys, I don't invest in startups, that's not my thing. I'm like, no, no, we're not asking, we're telling you, you decide how much you want to put in, but you got to invest. And so you know, I was just getting kind of my legs under me. So I didn't have a lot of money at that point, but I gave them a small investment. I was like, fine, threw it at them. And that company's FabFitFun. So anyone in LA probably knows them, but they're a unicorn. So my first angel investment that I made their, in their first round became a multi-billion dollar company. And wow, so- fantastic. And, and it accelerated quickly. Like it w within a few months, we knew we had made a good bet. 
and I knew the guys. Like, they're smart guys. They're good guys. Like, I felt good about it from the beginning. So then I started angel investing more. And over the past four years, we've had an average uh, on paper return. We haven't had a lot of exits, but on paper return of 11x. Yeah. And so through seeing that, we, we decided yeah, we should probably raise a fund and actually go, double down on this, be able to write bigger checks, not have to stress out Hawk Media's balance sheet to keep investing because we run, there are a lot of investments we had to pass on just because I don't have to, or invested way too little money because I just didn't have the comfort level. So raised a fund and now we've done eight checks out of that fund. That's fantastic. So is that at the same premises as, uh, as Hawk Media or is it completely two separate locations as well? Uh, same. Well, right now, not on the same premises, but yeah, we have this, we, we basically, we have a head of venture that's outside of Hawk Media and he uh, had his own office at the Hawk offices. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And then, uh, so let's talk about Hawk for a second, because this is obviously one of the most successful businesses that you've created. Um, how have you went from inception to 100 plus people in such a short space of time? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, there's no like silver bullet. It's just been, people need this service. We do a good job. Like it's, you know, people always ask like, what's the secret sauce? It's like no barrier to entry and fulfilling what you promise. Like it is that simple. Like it's really easy for people to start working with us because they're not worried about some long contract. And then we do what we say we're going to do. So most of them stick around. And so, you know, and then we, and with that complemented with a good sales team and good marketing team, so we have a good, mar- good like service team that's marketing for our clients and we have our good marketing team and sales team of our own. So again, it's really easy to sell people in because there's, it's like, it's a month and we have all the credibility in the world now. So early on, it was partially about building credibility that we actually knew what we were doing. Um, at this point, that ship has kind of sailed. Like it's like we have every case study and every like we can just flood people with what do you want? You want a Forbes article? We'll get one tomorrow. Like it's like we're able to just like get that validation that there's not that issue. And then again, it's like so the risk is mitigated for a customer and then they're not signing up for anything more than a month. So it's like the worst case scenario is they lose a month of time and they spend a month of money on their marketing and we don't fulfill what we're said we're gonna do and they can bounce. So that all being the case, it's just been really easy because again, the, the hard part for most agencies when I started this were like, you can't go month to month. That's impossible. You'll, there's no way to maintain that business. And I, you know, I was always like, but if we do the do good work, they're going to stick with us. And the only reasons we get fired is if we don't do good work or the company itself is having a bunch of problems. And let's be real. I've watched this, this play out. They don't pay you anyways. Like companies that are pissed off at their marketing agency, even if they have a contract on the, you know, shove it, they don't care. It's not so, worthwhile going after them. It's just yeah, just- exactly. So none of that was actual real protection. I do agree that sometimes those contracts can at least force a conversation that sometimes people won't have. Cause listen, we have 500 clients every, you know, once in a while we get a volatile one that won't even have a, just like, screw you. We're out. We're like, you're getting massive returns and doing really well objectively. What are you talking about? And so those kind of things uh, get frustrating, but it's a small, small minority of things. So it's not worth changing. And in the long run, that's not your ideal client anyway. You want to work with someone that appreciates the the value that you bring. Yep. And lo and behold, the people that are educated, the, the companies we work with, with good internal people, never seem to have any problems with us. So... That, so again, the, the secret sauce, so to speak, is doing good work and having a really good sales funnel. 
And that combination means we're always bringing in new clients and we're not losing as many, which means we're growing constantly, which, you know, it, ha- it wasn't like we got to 150 overnight. It was, you know, we went from 17 to 35 to six, this year by year, 17 to 35 to like 65 to like 100, to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's somewhere around there. And then when you get to exactly. a certain size, what I found with a lot of our other clients is that it's hard to then blend the culture because you probably started early and you had a really good culture the way you saw it. And then as you yeah. keep adding these quantities of people, it starts to change. What have, what have, yeah. What's been your experience from a culture standpoint from the first 10 into the last 150? Yeah, my business partner used a metaphor a little while ago that I thought was so on point, which is, um, you, did you go to college? Yeah, of course, yeah, in England. Was that a super fun time? Did you have oh, a lot of fun in college? It was yeah. the best. Yeah, so same thing with our culture. College was super fun when we were small and nimble and figuring it out, had a little more freedom. doesn't mean I hate my life right now. It's different, but it's not worse or better. And it's the same thing with companies. As you grow, yeah, it changes, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. And so even if it was, even if you reminisce about the time, like for us, it's the start was we had a conference table with seven people that we sat around in like a 250 square foot office, which is our little office. And like, we all worked around this little table and we're all taking calls and it was crazy, but fun. And like, we'll reminisce about the positive of that because everybody, you know, you remember the good things, frankly. So, um, but then, you know, I, I love what we, I love our culture now. I, I think it's definitely different because it, it's not as, it is still driven by me, but I have to accommodate for more types of personalities, types of um, people than I would have had to early on when it was just a few people. And it was really easy to like one person's having a bad day. That's fine. But like now, especially with what's going on between BLM and quarantine, we're having to do a lot more to accommodate different emotions and different reactions to that situation. And, you know, for me, it's like, yeah, people are going to, again, it's different. So that means it's not going to all be the same and homogenous, which is a good thing from a work product standpoint, but difficult when managing people sometimes. Got it. No, that makes a lot of sense what, what you said in terms of scaling, managing, and, and remembering the good times. So, uh, yeah. so that, that's fantastic. So if, if you had to pick one of the platforms that you guys kind of excel the most at, what would that platform be? So that's the thing. Another thing that makes us really unique, we don't like the most, the platform we do the most work on is like 20% of our business, meaning like nothing's super saturated with us because we believe you need to diversify your marketing and actually get the best. So, you know, it's kind of a list, but on the advertising side, it's taught, you know, kind of between Google and Facebook still, you know, I think TikTok's going to be up and coming. I think there's some other platforms that'll come, but those two are still getting the best performance. Uh, but you need to complement it with SMS and email to really get the best conversion. Our strategy team and CMO team, we've seen that like, if someone hires us with an outsourced CMO, which is their tagline, their uh, average results are 3x almost what they are without it. So being strategic is a big differentiator for us. Most companies don't have a CMO role that they put onto companies. And then, um, you know, great content is really the long-term differentiator for a business. And so that, you know, we have a whole team around content and influencer marketing and that side of things. And then obviously creative drives a lot of it too. So I think it's not about this one thing and that's what we do. And that is what makes us different. I think I really like the whole model in terms of there's no long-term commitment. It's pretty much value-based because if you don't get the value, you can bounce pretty quickly. 
multifaceted. Yeah. So you're not just pinpointing one platform. You you're spreading that across, which is definitely where you need a lot more touch points today to make a sale uh, than previously. I think the last Tony Robbins conference I was at, he mentioned it was up at 17, 18 touch points before yeah. you convert. And so that, that's a lot more than it used to be back. Exactly. And if you try to do that all through one platform, you're going to lose people pretty quick. So it's, that's the, it's multifaceted is what it has to be. But we're still rated like one of the number one partners or in the top 10 for Google, Facebook, Clavio. Shopify, et cetera. Like we all, we're still top notch in those fields and we get the best in those different categories. But like we literally just hired someone that ran their own successful Facebook agency for a long time to come in and be a director on our team as well. So like we're pulling really solid talent to focus on that side of the business so that we still are one of the best in each silo. But I believe all the silos working together is important. And then what type of clients do you bring in in terms of an ideal client? Yeah. So, I mean, the, our mission statement is accessibility to great marketing for everyone. So, you know, I'd say an ideal client, someone that's ready to grow a business that whether it's their, you know, early or late, doesn't matter that they want to grow and they're looking to collaborate with experts like that. That is an ideal client. The, the parts where I'd say the part we get the most hiccup is like we do, we're still, we still start at like two grand a month. So like if you're not in a place that you really can hire someone to help you with marketing, we're not going to be like a cheaper option in that sense. Um, we still need to be, you know, between two and 10,000 a month. You need to be, you need to have about a $10,000 marketing budget to make sense to hire anyone. And it's not like that we're too good for it. It's that the amount of time someone can put into a project for $500 a month, either the level of expertise or the time they're going to put in is going to sac- be sacrificed pretty heavily. And so I believe any founder that's not at that point that they can afford to hire real talent needs to learn how to drive revenue and drive their business first. And so that's, that's why we've taken that stance on it. And you know, we still try to help with direction and give advice to companies before that so they can help them get to that point. But if you can't, as a founder, get your company to 10, 20, 30 grand in revenue a month, you're probably doing the wrong business. And that's been my view of it. No, that makes a lot of sense. You've got to get to, and we preach this obviously on the CFO side and the financial side is get that solid base first, understand what your cash flow is so then you can create budgets and forecasts and then you can allocate that in the right areas. Well, and, and be able to be the driving force of your business. If you're the founder, you have to be. Like, it's, take, I, this is my fifth business, so take it from experience. You're going to have to drive your business. No, no one's going to be the silver bullet outside your business. Absolutely. So, Eric, thank you so much for your time. What's yeah. the best way for people to uh, get in touch with you? Uh, I mean, I'm on every social platform at or slash Eric Huberman. So LinkedIn, Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, any of them work. TikTok, okay. you really want to get in touch with me there. I haven't had a message there. Are you there. doing some dance videos on TikTok? I did one because uh, a buddy, I actually just was made an advisor on a, a uh, uh, TikTok agency and they sent, they're, they're these really famous TikTokers and they made a sweatsuit company and they sent me one. So I'm like, I guess I got to make a TikTok video with a sweatsuit on now. So done <laughs> one, but I'm going to, I got to get into it now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So thank you so much for your time. We wish you all the best and we'll put the links right down below so everyone can get in touch with you. Awesome. Well, thank you.